0: So, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the book of 1 John, specifically 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. As we conclude our summer series in the book of 1 John, First John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. The first time I can remember pondering the mystery of prayer, and when I say the mystery of prayer, I am referring to the sovereignty of God. And for the foundation of the earth to lead and to direct our steps, coupled in prayer with the invitation to ask, to seek, to come before him. And in all of prayer is this, not my will, but thy will be done dynamic. And at times from a human standpoint, there is a, a mysterious nature to how God and when God answers our prayers from a standpoint that we can discern. Sometimes we can't discern the side of heaven. But the first time that I pondered this was was not down the street at Beeson Divinity School as a student there sitting in the classroom studying with some of the foremost Old Testament, New Testament scholars and wonderful theologians. It wasn't there. It wasn't sitting in a Sunday school class with wonderful teachers. It wasn't sitting in a pew like you're sitting in listening to sermons I was 11 years old and I was sitting in the driver's seat, excuse me, the passenger seat of my mom's station wagon. She was driving me to a baseball practice and Art Reed, the DJ for a Jackson, Mississippi station called Miss 103 came over and said, I want you to hear a new song of a new up and coming country star in the making, Garth Brooks. And as 11 an year old, I heard the story of, uh, a song that goes a little bit like this. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into mild high school flame. And as I introduced him, the past introduced her, the past came back to me. And I couldn't help but to think of the way things used to be. You see, she was the one that I wanted from all time. And each night i had been praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish I'd wished back then, I'd never ask for anything again. Sing it with me, Dawson. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't, don't do that. Brent, don't go to the organ and play unanswered prayers on the organ. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And you are thankful that I did not sing that to you this morning but you, many of you know those lyrics. Now, look, I was 11 years old. I didn't have this deep theology of prayer. The the extent of my prayer life was really sort of wrote prayers, I guess, that were passed down to me. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I lay my uh, as I lay my head down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Which is a pretty morose prayer to pray as a five-year-old before you sleep. Maybe I'll wake up, maybe I won't. Lord, take my soul. <laughs> but, hey, it was passed down to me. So that's the extent of my understanding of prayer is just sort of what's passed down to me. But you, you don't have to live long as a human who communes with God in prayer, whatever that looks like, to, to, to run up to a wall of questions. I mean, does God hear all of my prayers? Does he listen carefully to all of them? Does he answer all of my prayers? I mean, you've prayed, I know you have. You've prayed for the healing of a loved one, only to see that loved one meet the Lord in death. And you wonder to God, did he hear my prayer? You know what it is to pray for the restoration of a relationship between you and maybe a sibling, you and a coworker, maybe you and a spouse, only to see that relationship over the course of weeks and months and years to further splinter? Did God hear? Did he answer my prayer? You've prayed for a promotion. You've prayed for a new job. You've prayed for that graduate school acceptance letter, only to have those doors shut and shut and then seem Locked and bolted, and you wonder, I mean, did God hear my prayers? Did He answer my prayers? And so, our passage this morning is about prayer, and it's about a sovereign God who who hears our prayers and invites us to pray. It's a it's a passage that at first glance could be a little bit bewildering to us. First John chapter five, hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse fourteen. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything, according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. There's a heads and tails of this passage. There's a 14 and a 15 of this passage passage. If you take either of these passages in isolation, you can make them a proof text and you can run in a lot of different directions with this very passage and say the Bible teaches dot, dot, dot. And you can put a verse to it. This is a passage that is ripe for misunderstanding. So let's listen carefully to what God's word teaches us about prayer. What does he teach us about quote unquote unanswered prayers it comes in the context of the conclusion of 1 John chapter 5. John is wrapping it up. He's winding it down. I've told you this before. One of the things about 1 John is that he, he is orally delivering this letter that will be orally delivered to the church and the Christians in Ephesus. So we're reading it because when I mean, we open up our New Testaments and we see a lot of repetition, we see some redundancy. Haven't you said this before? Haven't you said this before? And the answer is yes, he said it before. But again, one of the telltale signs of effective oral communication is to restate a premise, to repeat yourself. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we we have John coming back to themes that he has given us in the previous chapters. And in 1 John chapter 5, in the preceding verse, he is, he is uh, wanting us to have tremendous confidence in the sufficiency of God to be able to bring us into his presence. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 reads, I write these things, all these things I have written to you here, so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So he wants the Christians living there, in, in that place, to have confidence. Those who profess faith in Jesus, he wants them not to not to wonder, "Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian?" If you've placed your faith in Christ, you can have an assurance of your salvation because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So be confident. John is saying, but he's not just saying be confident in your great by and by in the eternity to come. But I want to confidence to intersect your life right now. I want confidence to intersect in the way that you commune with God in prayer. And then he moves us to two themes in verse 14 and verse 15 here that we hold in tension. The first is when you pray, be confident. When you pray, be confident. Now it's much unpacking these two verses here, but one of the things that's repeated in verse 14 and verse 15 is that we pray to a God who hears us. Now we're going to have to uh, tease out what does it mean that we ask anything according to his will that he hears us. And what does that have in, in balance with verse 15 if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask here. There's a tension in this passage here that we're going to have to explore here. But at the forefront... As we, as we move in sort of the, the breezeway to what he is teaching us about prayer, he is, he is wanting us to be rooted in the wonderful truth that God hears us in prayer. That God hears you when you talk to him. Uh, you remember a couple years ago, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago now, there was a cell phone commercial, it was a Verizon commercial and you had this guy and he's walking around, he's just pacing, can you hear me now? 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 And it rings even now in 2023, because there are times that you're driving from this place to that place, and you got one bar of connectivity. And, and the person that you're talking to hears every third or fourth word. And there are times where we think that maybe our prayers are one bar kind of prayer to God, that he gets kind of the gist of what we're saying but because of our sinfulness or or, or or because of of him being a sovereign God that is in heaven, that, that he's got too much to deal with than my measly life and, and your measly life here. And that, that, that he, he's got the universe to run and to rule over here. And so, so we can't come to him really with our, our little problems here. And then we, we take that kind of attitude and we, we look into the word of God that says, no, 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 no. You approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. If you're writing in the margins of your Bible a really good passage to have in mind when you read this passage is a passage on prayer that invites us to the throne in Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 through 16, it reads, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. We've got people that are gonna look at that and they'll come back and tell me everything that I need to do here. And so you can can rest that people, the right people are leaving and they'll come right back to me and they'll tell me what I need to tell you. And this is gonna be hard for us to do, but I'm gonna continue to preach while we hear this. So we don't just have me singing a bunch of Garth Brooks songs to you right here. So (laughs) that sound okay? So Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 through 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So my confidence in prayer and your confidence in prayer, it rests where? It rests in the great high priest who hears our every need. Isn't this amazing to think about? But just ponder this for a second, that we are talking to one, who has walked in our shoes. That when you pray, you are praying to the the, the great intercessor, the great high priest, Jesus, who has walked in your very shoes. He knows just how important it is to be vitally connected to the father. One of the themes of Jesus's earthly ministry is that he's constantly getting a way to do what? To commune with God in prayer, to talk with God in prayer. I've got a thumbs up from John Woods. And if I've got a thumbs up from John Woods, you don't have to hear me sing a bunch of Garth Brooks songs, and we can continue on here. There we go. Thank you, John, for looking into that. Can we give John a round of applause right here? There we go. There we go. <laughs> hey, I mean, I mean, we got sirens going off right here, you know, so thank you, John. Uh, another passage that reminds us that this is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with, can you say that with me? Thanksgiving. So we don't take that invitation from God for granted. We don't take the invitation to come before Him. We might be tempted to think God has more important things to deal with. I actually think this is one of the challenges that many of us might have in prayer, is what what I like to call sort of a, a southern false deference this might be outside of the southeast, but I'm 100% sure that it is a part of our DNA from places like Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama. It's is that we, we can couch a lot of things. Sometimes it's a little bit passive aggressive, but sometimes it's just the way that we've learned to ask people to help us with things. You know how, I mean, you know this, don't you? Hey, I know you're, I know you're so busy. I know you're really, really busy here. Or we will ask something and we'll have to start with, hey, I hate to bother you. I hate to bother you. And sometimes we come to God with this kind of false deference. I I hate to bother you. And what God is saying is, hey, I invite you to beseech me. I invite you to come to my throne. You don't have to come to my throne with hesitations. You don't have to come to my throne wondering if I hear you or not. I am welcoming you to come to me right now. And what is so amazing about prayer is, is the most supreme authority who has more on his place. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands also. And he desires to hear from us. So Christian. When you pray, pray confidently. Approach his throne boldly. Approach his throne regularly. Approach his throne specifically. Don't grow. I've been praying this whole time that that would stop. Can I just tell you that God has answered our prayers here? I'm sweating up here, preaching with this alarm going. Thank you, Jesus. When you pray, pray confidently. Secondly, when you pray, seek his will. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, it's interesting in this passage here, verse 14, if we ask anything, and notice notice what grounds us in this passage, according to his will. Anything according to his will. If you if you take verse 15 away from verse 14, you're going to make God into your cosmic butler. You're going to take prayer and make it into the bell that you ring for the butler of God to come and to do all of your whims and wishes. And that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not us beseeching God as a genie in the bottle to grant us three wishes that we have for him. And again, this passage, if we ask anything according to his will. So his will grounds prayer. His sovereign purposes undergird our prayers. And this is one of the reasons that we can approach him boldly with our requests. Because ultimately, the posture of prayer is not my will, but thine will be done. So we, when we come to him, we don't read just verse 15 that says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask... We know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Do you see what's really dangerous when you take a verse out of context? Can you, I mean, people do this. You know this and I know this. You have heard people say, hey, the Bible says whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. And so we do turn God at times with prayer into this divine vending machine. Hey, whatever the Bible says, whatever I ask. The currency is prayer. And if I have enough faith, and if I believe enough, I can bow before him. And I put in A1 or A2. And if A1 is the healing of a loved one who is dealing with a diagnosis, if I believe enough, then God, I can sort of twist God's arm behind his back. And this is not, this is not hypothetical. This is actually dangerous. And I've, I've heard and you have heard, you can read books name it and claim it and if you just have enough faith, if you just believe enough, so the efficacy of prayer is, is moved from the sovereign will of God, it is moved to the fervency of your prayer and, 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 and it is moved to you believing enough and so we diminish God and we elevate ourselves and we are misconstruing this verse and, and we do it in dangerous ways. I've heard people preach on this passage and preach on the themes of this passage and say examples. I, I, I heard one person say one time that they were going to sort of like the Galleria and, and they were praying because it was a Christmas shopping season and there was no place to park and they just prayed and, and God parted the Red Sea of SUVs and minivans and, and he got to park uh, real close to the front. I mean, is that what this passage is talking about? I had another time where he was talking, the same preacher was talking about uh, getting on a commercial flight and praying for a little bit more convenient flight and a little bit more comfortable flight and God answering his prayer by giving him a first class upgrade. Um, are you just a first class upgrade in all of your commercial flying if you just believe enough and pray enough? And the answer is no. That's not what this passage is teaching the Bible invites us to come to him as a loving father. And every loving father and every loving mother has the experience of looking at their children and saying something to them that they need to hear that maybe they don't understand. And that is the word no. So our heavenly father, he loves us enough to answer our prayers in ways that are beyond our our desires at times. Prayer is not a spiritual abracadabra where if you say the right words in the right way with enough belief, then then you force the hand of God. Prayer is first and foremost, communing with him. It's first and foremost saying, not my will, but thine will be done. It's first and foremost being transformed and shaped to look more like our great high priest, Jesus himself. And so when we pray, yes, there are times that we can put our answers that we perceive sort of kind of as unanswered prayers, but they're not unanswered prayers. They're just not answered in the way that from our human standpoint in that moment, we would have thought that they would have been answered. Sometimes God says, no, I love you way too much to give you exactly what you're praying for. And again, every there have been times in my life as a parent where if I gave my, my boys what they wanted, especially when their mom was sort of out of the town for a couple of weeks or something, or not, she's never been out of town for a couple of weeks, but a couple, couple of days or something like that. All we would have eaten would have been chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A and, and, and frosted lemonade freezes. That's all we would have eaten. So sometimes I, as the father have to say what? No, no. McDonald's for every meal is is not going to be what's best for you. I had a friend of mine, we were in college together and he was in a relationship for about three years, almost spanned all of college. I was sure, Danielle was sure, we were all sure that marriage was where they were leading to. They thought that they picked out rings, come to their senior year and the bride to be said, I I just don't feel comfortable going with this. It was heartbreaking for her, it was heartbreaking for him. Some of you have been in those kinds of scenarios. He prayed fervently that God would sort of soften her heart, bring her back to him. She, he was sure that this was the one. He was sure that he was going to spend his time, life, ministry, marriage together with her. Well, it didn't come to pass. Now, if you fast forward 21 years later and you see how God said no to a specific request, it was out of a heart of no, hey, I've got something far greater. And if you you look at the bride that he married and their 21 years of life, and you look at the three children and you just say, hey, from a human standpoint, we can see how in that moment we would think, and you can fill in your blank with your own example of how in the moment we feel this has to be what I need you to do, God. And God as a loving father says, I am sovereign, I am overall, and I know what is best. And my answer might be no, but my no is ultimately for your good and for his glory. Now, sometimes his no is no. You're, you're just not seeking the will of God. We have these examples of the disciples all throughout the Bible. You've got Peter, James, and John that show up in Mark chapter 10. And Elijah and Moses, they appear on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And what is their instinct in this moment? Hey, let's pitch some tents. Let's build a tabernacle. And, and what the disciples are doing in that moment is, is they want to worship Jesus as he is exalted. They see him for who he is and they want to stay up on the mountain. And Jesus has to say No. We're not going to do that because we've got to go back into the valley of death. We've got to go into the valley of the crucifixion for me to be resurrected and ultimately exalted. So in that moment, what they're asking for is limited by their lack of perspective. And so Jesus's answer is no. There's another example in in Mark chapter 9 of the disciples, James and John at this time. And they say to Jesus, can we sit on your left and your right here? And they're asking this out of, out, of, out of a sense of pride. They, they, they don't want to serve. They, they want to be exalted with Jesus here. And so Jesus says, no, you don't even know what you're asking for. There are times where he says to our request, no. There are also times where he doesn't say, no, I love you too much to give you what you're asking for. But he says, yes, but you're going to have to wait. And this can feel like a no, it can feel like an unanswered prayer, quote unquote, but it actually is Him saying, My timing is not your timing. I'm gonna answer that with yes but my yes is going to come to fruition in eternity or my yes is going to come to fruition in the decades to come. And you're just not going to fully see it. One great example of this is the father of the modern missionary movement. His name was William Carey, 18th century. He's leaving England with his family and he goes to Calcutta in India to plant himself and praying fervently, fervently, for the conversion of the indigenous people that are living there that he's working with and living beside. Do you know the story of William Carey after the first year? Do you know how many people came to know Jesus as their savior that he was working with a big zero at the end of the second year? Do you know, here's this man on his knees fervently praying for the conversion of those that he's serving alongside of, you know how many people came to faith in Jesus after the second year zero At the end of the third year, you know how many? Zero. At the end of the fourth year, you know how many? None. Fifth year, none. Sixth year, zero. Seventh year, zero. It's only into the eighth year of his ministry after malaria strikes his family, cholera strikes his family, his young son Peter dies, His wife, Dorothy, goes through a tremendous time of grief and homesickness and the emotional and physical strain that she endured. And it's only 41 years later, after uh, seven years, where seemingly God answered, no, 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 no. It's after 41 years that you count around 700 conversions to Christ. You count what now in the 21st century is the millions of people that profess Jesus as their Savior, that have roots from the hospitals that were started under Carrie's tutelage, the schools that were started, the Bibles that were translated. All of this is God saying, yes, but Carrie, you're going to have to wait. That's tough for us. His timing just, is just not our timing. Sometimes his yes is not yes, but you've got to wait. Sometimes his yes is yes, but it's not in the way that you expect. There's probably not a single person that is a Christian here that has not come to this place where we've we've been in an ICU room, we've been in a hospital room, and we're praying with tremendous faith that God would heal our loved one, our friend, our coworker. Maybe you're gathered together with other church members and you're holding hands and you have a a prayer vigil where you're asking God to, to raise up this teenager, this young mother, this brother or their sister, your spouse, and for them to walk with you again. And God answers that prayer of healing with yes, but that healing of yes isn't an earthly healing, but it is an eternal healing. And it can be very painful for us because God has given us our family. He's given us our friends and he's given us the gift of love that binds our hearts together. So with tears, we're we're praying, this was not my will, but thine will be done. And any earthly healing is just a foretaste of the eternal healing that that is ahead that all of us who are followers of Jesus will one day taste ourselves. And so we pray for the healing of our loved ones, knowing that he is the sovereign, good God who loves our loved ones and friends far more than we can imagine. And he knows what is best in every situation. So sometimes his yes is yes, but it's not in the way that you expected. Sometimes his yes is yes and right now. Yes and right now. Can I give you two examples of the way that God will answer your prayer? Yes, right now. We've prayed this morning. We have sung songs that have exalted Jesus this morning. We've heard our choir so beautifully lead us and our instrumentalists beautifully lead us. We've opened up God's word. We've worshiped together. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, David, I'm not sure that I'm a follower of Christ but, but I, feel, I feel something tugging upon my heart. I can't, even, I can't even in this moment express what I feel, but I know that I'm a sinner and I know that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a death for my sins. And so today I trust Jesus. If you pray to God, God, I trust your son as my savior. I place my faith in him. You know, the answer to your prayer is a divine yes come into the family. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you know what it is. We all do to have sin that so easily entangles us. We've come into the sanctuary, not with clean hands. We're all prone to wander. We're all prone to leave the God that we love. And as we have sung this morning, as we've prayed this morning, as we've opened up God's word, God is pricking your heart through this power of the spirit. And you know what it is to to live your life. You believe that there's a God, but you know what it is to functionally live as if you don't believe that there's a God. And, And you know what it is to go days without talking to him in prayer. You know what it is to go weeks without coming before him in prayer. And even right now, God is pricking your heart. To turn back to him in prayerfulness. To be more specific in your prayer life. To be more consistent in your prayer life. To never take for granted that you as a creature get to talk with the creator of the universe. He gives us that privilege. And if you today confess that prayerlessness to him, he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness right now. Sometimes God's answers are no, I love you way too much. No, you're asking all the wrong motivation. Yes, but you've got to wait. Yes, not in the way that you expected. Yes. And yes, right now. The the greatest problem that you're going to have this week when you leave the sanctuary is not the problem of unanswered prayers. It is the problem of unoffered prayers. That's the temptation before all of us It's not trying to figure out what is unanswered, but it is walking in unoffered prayers. So as we leave, be encouraged to approach his throne of mercy and grace boldly. Be encouraged to come before him specifically. Be encouraged to not come to him with hesitations and reservations, but bring your request to him, knowing that he is good and that he is a God who is sovereign, and he will answer your prayers in ways that are far beyond anything that you could ask for or even imagine. And that, my friends, is really good news. Amen? Let us pray.